In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mass today is being offered for the repose of the soul of Donald Steiner. <clears throat> we also pray for those recently passed away of our parish and immediate family members, Lucas Gallegos and John Kopeck, Bill Kremitas, James Michael Kazunas, and Louis Redman. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. Let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. And for all the sick, we continue to pray for Sandy Gomes and Richard Mead, for Joseph Cascioli and Ann Howerton. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Amen. And for protection from all wrath and evil, we pray. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all the evil spirits, power about the world, see ruin of souls. Amen. And just a note of welcome or, or explanation, perhaps, uh, you arrived at the noon low mass, um, which means, yes, everything is in Latin except for the next um, few minutes. If that's new, um, I hope you enjoy it. When we get to communion time, it's just everyone kneels at the altar rail. If your knees don't work, you stand at the altar rail. Um, and uh, you don't say anything at communion time. You just open your mouth, and the priest does the prayer and places our Lord on your tongue. It's the only thing that's permitted. Um, uh, you might think that, well, the noon Mass is convenient because it's in the middle of the day, true enough. You might think it's the quick Mass. It's not going to be the quick Mass. We won't be done before 1 p.m., so um, maybe take a minute now to um, text your next commitment and tell them you might be a little late. Um, even though there's no music, doesn't mean that this is quick. It, praying all the prayers at a proper pace leaves low mass taking at least 35, if not 40 minutes. Um, it's not a frequent topic of conversation among priests, but occasionally we double-check each other. How long is your low mass? And um, um, especially with the Bishop Schneider visiting very recently and offering... Mass and our hearing his pace, we're just that much more convinced that, and he prays a little slower than we do. I don't know how low mass can be shorter than 40 minutes and still be reverent. But low mass is silent or relatively silent. So you can't hear prayers being done irreverently, um, but it still can look reverent. That may be some of the church's wisdom over the centuries. Um, and I'll go a little back into the history of low mass. But in any event, um, bare minimum Monday evening at 8 p.m., that mass is 40 minutes long. And today will be longer. Father Melmer probably will get back from the nursing home in time to help out with communion. But um, uh, happy All Saints Day and enjoy your bacon. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. I want you to visualize this, this the scene from uh, the book of Revelation, uh, the Apocalypse, chapter 7. Uh, I read to you, I'm just reading from the new <clears throat> lectionary. Uh, the new Mass has the exact same reading, uh, the exact same gospel. Uh, it doesn't name every one of the 12 tribes and explain that 12,000 of them were signed with the seal. Um, but otherwise, it's, uh, it's just, so imagine the scene. John, St. John has a vision of heaven. And besides the 12,000 from every tribe who are sealed, there is a great multitude that can't be numbered, can't be counted. From every race, nation, language, from all over. Can't, can't even be counted. We were just done counting 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. This is even larger than that. From everywhere. And then they're all in white robes. Imagine that. All of these, all of these people in white robes. And in the middle um, is the, the throne of God. And what's on the throne of God but God the Son, the Lamb, the Paschal Lamb, the victorious Paschal Lamb. If it, if it helps, close your eyes, close your eyes, because there's no image of it around here. Um, and then they all, the countless multitude, fall prostrate. Angels. Saints, even if, uh, even if a hundred people go down to their knees quietly, they make a noise. Imagine this countless multitude going down to the ground and going prostrate. Some of us have the painting of Van Eyck in mind, and that shows a particular stage of, or a particular moment in this scene as described by St. John. St. John describes as, as a, a living scene, not a static moment. So that painting that you might visualize probably is more colorful than what you just meditated upon. Um, uh, much quieter than what you meditated upon. Um, it's one moment in the playing out of the worship of God in heaven. And that is precisely what will happen here. Um, what is happening here? We are worshiping God. We aren't doing a ceremony that we invented that therefore has become obligatory on all, on all the members of our religious club. Um, we understand the worship of God already to be underway by the angels uh, and the saints who have joined them over the course of time meeting eternity. And, 
and our worship is patterned after, but a perfection of, that temple worship that was done by the people of God for millennia. And now we find ourselves about to be present when the Lamb appears on the altar and presents himself to us. We will already be on our knees. And as, as Christians who understand this mystery, this worship in which we are engaged, we also know that we are the, the Lamb has a purpose, which is not simply to be adored himself, but to draw us into worship of God the Father. So, there are places where ancient elements still exist of this. You've heard me describe going to Mass in Ethiopia, where the, where the people of God have been since uh, Candace, uh, not Candace, um, since King Solomon um, was visited by the Ethiopian queen. And then has been Christian since the Ethiopian eunuch returned from Jerusalem, uh, which we read in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7. Attending Holy Mass in Ethiopia, even in the ancient Gizrite, um, probably the Eastern Church uh, with an Orthodox counterpart, um, most amicably linked. Everyone wraps up in white to go into church. On top of their street clothes, they wrap in a white blanket, a white toga. In the Ethiopian church, the men are still standing on the left side, the women and children on the right side. There are no pews. We we only have had pews for 500 years, admittedly. All adoring the Lamb, all adoring Christ. There are other ancient um, customs that we maintain, and we don't even realize that they're custom, and they, they result in interesting outward manifestations that, to the casual observer, wouldn't be noticed as the sign of something ancient. Um, for example... How is it that we have a, uh, a mass that happens every day, but so quietly? Um, some, some of us prefer low mass, where, where everything's relatively quiet, where there's no music. Um, most, of us would, most of us who do prefer low mass sometimes would have to admit that there's something um, uh, idiosyncratic about that even if we do prefer. We, we know, at least we know that we're supposed to think that, that the prayers sung is more glorious, that, that chant uh, and, and the word of God lifted up 
in a holy melody is more perfect. Um, how did we get to this point? Remember that Holy Mass was celebrated on Sundays for centuries, and only on Sundays. Remember, too, these are two things to remember. If you remember anything, remember these two things. Well, now, if you remember one thing, remember this one thing. From the very beginning, all priests had to be celibate or continent in order to celebrate the sacred mysteries, period. From the very, very beginning, from the times of the apostles. Yes, there were married men who were ordained, but they had to be continent with their wife from that moment forward. Um, Jokes aside about women encouraging their husbands to get ordained so that they had to be continent for the rest of their lives. Uh, All research bears that out. Long before, centuries before any type of um, obligation of celibacy for Roman Catholic priests or priests in the West to be celibate in order to be ordained. All priests, every single priest, even married men who were ordained priests, had to be continent, had to refrain from relations with their wives in the day before they offered Holy Mass. Unmarried men who were ordained were forbidden from marrying from apostolic times. Once they were ordained, there was no possibility of their being married. Obviously, they are obliged, were obliged to live a life of chastity, um, as is appropriate in their state in life. Chastity for an unmarried person is celibacy. Chastity for a married person is fidelity to your spouse. Continence always means refraining from being intimate. So from apostolic times, there were celibate men who were ordained, and there were married men who were ordained. But from apostolic times, the married men who were ordained were required to be continent in order to be able to celebrate the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Mass only happened on Sundays. So there were other days of the week to be intimate. In monasteries, where you had more men, where you had only celibate men, unmarried men who were ordained, it was entirely possible to have Mass every day. What a beautiful luxury. After a few centuries of life, the church discerned that, at least in the West, men to be ordained would have to be all celibate. No more would there be a a possibility, um, or no longer would there be permission for married men to be ordained. In the East, as you know, married men were permitted to be ordained. They were never and have never been permitted to become bishops in the East. Think of what happens in a monastery and 
All of us should, at the very least, notionally recognize a monastery as an ideal, an ideal of prayer and penance, an ideal of the sacred liturgy, at least in the abstract, if not in practice. And in a monastery, every day, there is a mass of the entire community, the mass of the convent, the conventional mass, a solemn high mass, priest, deacon, subdeacon. Everything that can be sung is sung. All the other monks in the monastery who are priests offer mass earlier in the day, almost first thing of the day, mostly at the same time at different altars, very quietly. There is a murmur. There's no prayer of the Mass which can really be silent. The priest, at the very least, is supposed to be able to hear what he's saying. It's supposed to be audible. Some prayers need to be heard by the server. So in a monastery early in the morning, there's this beautiful procession of priests and servers going to altars, and they're near each other, and and you hear the whisperings of the Mass Uh, and the shuffling of feet, and the kneeling, and the moving of books, and it's beautiful. And it has to be almost practically silent for it to happen. At a certain point in time, when, I don't know, it has to be researched, the church in the West realized that if you have celibate priests in a parish, you can have Mass every day. And it doesn't even have to be completely sung. Sung Mass on Sundays being an expectation is matched to a quiet Mass every day. Therefore, the the daily Mass that happens very quietly is the church flaunting the fact that all of its priests are celibate. As a liturgical manifestation that's out of the ordinary. I won't call it irregular because that has real, a real denotation um, in Catholic theology, but it's out of the ordinary. So you can explain that to your friends. Uh, if they don't like low mass, uh, they can realize there is a very cool reason why we have low mass, why it even exists, because we have celibate clergy. And you can explain to your friends as well that never in the history of the church until the 1980s did we have married men become priests and not told that they had to be continent before the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The image of Van Eyck of the worship of the Lamb is one moment in the unfolding of the worship of God as seen by St. John. We are likewise one moment in this unfolding of sacred history of God sanctifying, saving his people. We pray to be um, not only present, but alive because we have to admit that In this scene of all the saints, the young favorite saints, St. Dominic and 
Saint Dominic Savio and Saint Tarsicius and Saint Maria Goretti and Saint Lucy and Saint Cecilia and all the saints that teach us how to be parents and grandparents, Saint Monica and Saint Anne and Saint Joachim and Saint Elizabeth and Saint Zechariah. We all have to admit we hardly have any place in their company. We have been baptized, and we have been, we have been marked. We have been sealed indelibly with the mark of baptism. We are adopted sons and daughters of God, not just creatures, uh, and not just creatures who have been designated as members of His people. But we are permanently adopted children of God. But we have not lived up to what that demands of us. And so we thank God for the outpouring continually of his grace upon us that he has not given up trying to sanctify us. And we pray that our time spent meditating on all the saints all together helps us to to be more effectively members of the church. To, to, to be part of the realization of God's will and the rendering of all things to the glory of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.